You are listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. In March, Bowel Cancer Australia is asking women to kick ass. It's International Women's Day on the 8th, and we are seeing an increasing number of women's symptoms being dismissed as being too young or under the guise of female issues without bowel cancer being explored as a possibility. Bowel cancer is the second most common cancer in women after breast cancer. It's also the third deadliest cancer in women. Today's guest is a colorectal surgeon. She is passionate about raising awareness and dispelling many of the misconceptions surrounding bowel cancer symptoms. Welcome to the Bottom Line podcast, Dr. Penelope de la Cavallari. Did I get that right? <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is it's French, so there's no way right or wrong on how you can say it, but in French. And I don't speak French, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so thank you, Steph, for having me. It is a pleasure, really, and honour to be interviewed, really. And a bit nervous, too, but it is important to have this conversation, so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, thank you for joining us. And I must also point out to our listeners that Penelope has also joined us as a Bowel Cancer Australia spokesperson and her insights as a colorectal surgeon are really valuable in helping Bowel Cancer Australia go out and spread awareness. So thank you, Penelope. You're welcome. So on that note, could you give us, before we get into the nitty gritty, could you give us a little snapshot about your role and what you do? Okay, so I'm a colorectal surgeon in Sydney, Australia. I work at Sydney Adventist Hospital, Northern Beaches Hospital and Prince of Wales Private. I am also a trained general surgeon, but the majority of my practice is colorectal surgery. I get a lot of questions, or many of my patients ask me, why did I become a colorectal surgeon and why do I enjoy treating patients with bowel cancer? And I have to say that it's, it's almost like I found my tribe. You know, um, the people that I work with is amazing. The patients are very, very, very appreciative. I get to either help with survival or quality of life in one way or another, it's always a win, even when there is no good outcome at the end and, you know, things can end up the same way. It's important to connect with the patients and I'm a very, 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 I'm a person that really believes that it should be patient care or like I heard lately, human-centered care, mm. because at the end of the day, we get to treat and we get to be trusted by people with the health. So I feel very honoured about it and, and and I love taking care of them, basically. it's Yes, we do. We talk about patient-centred care, but I like the human. We're still humans, aren't we? That's right. We're not just a patient. We're not an organ. We are a human with all of them, with all of the above. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're lucky to have people like you around us and I, I like how you describe you've found your tribe. Obviously, bowel cancer Australia and bowel cancer patients are my tribe for a whole different reason. <laughs> Sorry. But I, like you, am really passionate and feel like I've found my found my place, which is wonderful. Yes. So today we're going to be talking about women in particular and bowel cancer. Now, we know that women 
they check their breasts. It's just something they, you know, I would say 99% of women and men know about breast cancer and checking breasts. We know about pap smears, but bowel cancer has such a low profile and we are working at this at Bowel Cancer Australia and have some great initiatives and I do see we're making some inroads. But as a health professional, why do you think that is? Well, it's not sexy enough, isn't it? You know, talking about your bottom and, and the third hole in your in your perineal area is not very common to talk about. So, and hence also the education and awareness doesn't start early enough. You know, we don't talk about poo. We don't talk about what's normal. We don't talk about how we should poo, how we should be raising our legs. You know, we don't even talk about you should look at your poo. You know, I didn't learn this until I went to university. You know, no one told me in my home that I need to be checking my poo. So, you know, I think we need to just get rid of the taboo. We just need to speak about it, you know, um, and, and to speak about it in a normal way because it's normal. It's a bodily function. You know, we have a long pipe that makes poo and then comes out. And if things come out in a different way, we need to know what is normal because otherwise... Why would we know that it's not normal? So I think that's what it is. It's just, you know, we're very bad at marketing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're trying to fix that as a marketer. I'm trying to fix that. (laughs) We're getting better about, and thank God for Balkans Australia, because, you know, uh, I think people are starting to talk about it. And, and, And thankfully, because of social media now, we have a great tool to talk about it in a non uh, confronting way where you can listen to videos, have a look at pictures, have a look at posts. And that's the main reason why I'm, I'm on social media because of that, because of bringing awareness and bringing education. So, so that's basically what it is. So I think whilst we were improving it, we still have a long road in comparison to all the screening programs and how much funding they get to spread awareness and research and etc. And I've been quite vocal, I suppose, as a marketer. I think it's not just about the money spent, it's it's the way we communicate. And on a later podcast, I'd like to talk to you about culturally how we talk to people, but we'll save that for another time. But I do think that we need to change the way we speak to people. It's not an old man's disease. It's not just about men or just about yeah. women. That's right. And it is amazing that, you know, one one in 15 women actually develop bowel cancer and people don't even see that as a high thing. I don't even think that people know, you know, to be the second cause after your breast, you know, and about one in 10 or about 12% are under the age of 50, which is the other misconception that this is an old man's disease. It's not, you know, it happens in both men and women and it actually is quite common. Yes, which is a lovely segue because young women are being dismissed and it's 99% treatable if it's caught early. Yes, right. But women and men, but we're talking women today, are often dismissed with their symptoms and they are disguised as female reproductive issues or pregnancy. Women issues. Yes, it's hidden. Uh, You know, bloating, those sorts of things. Can you talk us through that as a health professional? I think that, you know, we should look at at, at things in three main areas. I think there's three main areas where we need to improve and where we get the dilemma in diagnosing and treating women with bowel cancer. I think the first thing is the coexistence of bleeding and iron deficiency anemia. And always basically 
rationalizing that this is happened, the iron deficiency, even because you have heavy periods, because you have endometriosis, because you have, you know, you are vegetarian. You know, there's always a other reason. Or you're a mother and you're tired and you're trying to juggle 50,000 things. Or you're pregnant. That's mm. right. So, and it is true, you know, it can be, but some of the reasons are actually less likely than actually getting bowel cancer. So one in four women get heavy menstrual bleeding, but also that can coexist with either symptoms or no symptoms of, of bowel cancer. And that's where the little curiosity hat needs to come in, where you have to have a look a little bit more fine detail if this is only due to heavy menstrual bleeding or if it's not, you know, if, even if it's postmenopausal, it's not going to be menstrual bleeding because they don't get a period. So... The other thing is that what you mentioned, the bloating and, you know, uh, the cramping and, you know, how cyclical the, this cramping can happen sometimes because of periods. Well, usually cramping and bloating are not typical features of, of bowel cancer until they are quite advanced. But depending on the location of the tumor, you can have these cancers and they, 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 you can have these symptoms and they can be quite fine. And then you might think, oh, no, I just ate something and that's why I'm bloated. Well, no, it could be that you have a big polyp or a cancer in your sigmoid. You know, and, and if that is added with some bleeding that I think is hemorrhoid because I always had hemorrhoids, then you tend to rationalize things towards something else. I guess, you know, we're human, of course. Mm. And then I'm going to go on and talk about again about hemorrhoids and bleeding. No blood in the source is normal. Just get that in your head. Never forget. Even if you have had it for years, that doesn't mean that you're bleeding that you've been having for the last two weeks is hemorrhoids. So please have them checked. Please go to your GP specialist and request a colonoscopy, you know, or at least discuss it with your GP. And then they can actually investigate things. Don't just assume. Mm. And also the other symptoms as well, you know, the non-specific symptoms of fatigue and, you know, and tiredness, you know, what woman is not tired? <laughs> exactly. Really. You know, we children are not children. You know, we, we tend to multitask and we do it very well, but, you know, it comes with a toll. So, you know, again, that needs to be investigated. If it sticks and stocks, this is what I tell to, the, to my patients and to, and to, to the GPs, if a symptom sticks and stocks, for long enough, for a week or two, and things have not moved and nothing has changed, there is a reason behind this. And if you cannot find the reason, at least you investigate it and go rid of the possibility of this being more sinister. Better be safe than sorry. And I know that it's a cliche to say this, but it, it is very true. It's true. I encourage women to pay attention on what their bodies are telling them. And the majority of times when I see women and men in my, in my rooms, it's about empowering them by educating them of what is normal, what is not. You know, 70% of, of patients that I see in the rooms, they might not need an operation, but they will get out of my consulting room knowing better about their bodies or knowing more about their bodies. And that for me, it's job done because next time that something happens, then they will be curious and say, oh, I remember this. My surgeon said that this is not normal. I'm going to go and check it. So, you know, abdominal pain can be a symptom of colorectal cancer. Bloating can be a symptom. Bleeding can be a symptom. Feeling tired can be a symptom. Or you might not have any symptoms at all. Mm, that's right. Mm. So, but something changes. And when that something changes, it's important to check it. Empower yourself and you know what your body is doing is such an important point, isn't it? Yes, 
It because is. we do, we go, oh, it's just, you know, I'm just tired because it's, I've you know, got children and I'm running frantically. But I think that's that's really great advice. Mm. So pregnancy or the birth of a child, yes. for example, I was told I'd had a child and I was told it was because of that. Um, and we hear this very often because it's hiding symptoms in inverted commas. Yes. What is your advice around that? I think it's very important for us to, to define what does it mean bowel cancer during pregnancy? Because it's not only whilst the woman is pregnant, it's actually involves the 12 months after having the pregnancy, after delivering that baby. Because it's almost like your fourth trimester continuous. You know, every patient that we see that are pregnant with a pelvic floor, for example, we tell them, oh, yeah, yeah, your pelvic floor will get better within 12 months. You know, your bowel function will get better within two months. You know, your anemia will get better as you go through your fourth trimester. So it's the same thing with bowel cancer. You know, it can happen around pregnancy, but it can also happen within the first two months after that. It is also important to put it into context. You know, pregnancy and colorectal cancer is not a common incidence, but it is the fourth most common malignancy during pregnancy. It's not the 20th, it's not the 30th, it's the fourth. Wow. Um, you know, it's breast cancer first, then cervical, then um, I think it's a lymphoma of some sort, and then bowel cancer. So, you know. It's fairly high up there. It's very high up. Um, so don't disregard it. Again, you know, we check our breast, we check our cervix, please check your poo. It is also very important to stress that pregnancy does not cause the cancer. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and being pregnant does not increase the risk of developing cancer. However, what it does increase is the likelihood that this will get a delayed diagnosis, which is what we're finding, and on a more advanced stage because of the delayed diagnosis. So when you ask me about pregnancy, you know, hiding symptoms of colorectal cancer, I don't think per se it hides them. I think it's that we, again, explain the symptoms and rationalize the symptoms as being part of being pregnant. Or oh, it's normal for me to feel bloated. It's normal for me to not have the appetite. Oh, it's normal for me to be iron deficient because I'm growing a baby inside of me. You know, many pregnant women have minimal symptoms that they would attribute to colorectal cancer, you know, like, you know, a, a, a blockage or an obstruction. That's a very, very advanced symptom to have colorectal cancer. The majority will be symptoms, like I said before, that will be rationalized as being part of being pregnant. So, and they can overlap as well at any trimester. So what I think we need to get better at as a health professional is that when a person or a, a pregnant woman comes to me with, I have hemorrhoids, I'm bleeding, and I'm also iron deficient when the blood that you get. Because funnily enough, who gets more checks than a pregnant woman? Seriously, we get checked, we get checked like every month. Uh, you know, I never go to the GP as much as I was when I was pregnant. You get checked by your... <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, GP specialist and you get checked by the obstetrician. You get a multitude of blood tests and a multitude of other tests. And we still don't don't think about bowel cancer. So I think this is what we need to get better in being curious. You know, remember when you were a toddler and you were getting into every single hole. You know, just 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 be curious and, and use your detective skills. So, for example, 
if a patient um, of mine, a GP specialist, calls me and says, look, you know, I got a, a second trimester pregnant woman. She has had hemorrhoid forever. I have given her uh, some, you know, iron replacement. She's been iron deficient. Her ferritin, it's not abnormal, but it hasn't gone up. Then she needs to be investigated. That's it. She needs to be investigated or at least discussed with a specialist. So on that then, Penelope, what diagnostic tests can you do if you're pregnant? You know, can you have a colonoscopy? Is there another form of diagnostic test? What do you suggest to a pregnant woman? So colonoscopy is a gold standard, okay? If we're going to diagnose or refute a diagnosis of bowel cancer, you have to do a colonoscopy. Now, the problem is because you're pregnant, then you tend to disregard the bleeding as something else. Then you have the fear around the baby getting harmed if you have any tests. Then you have the risk of miscarriage during sedation. And most importantly, you know, the misconception that the lack of awareness that a young, fit, pregnant woman cannot have bowel cancer. So, you know, when they come through my doors, we as, as practitioners that do colonoscopy have to fight around all this. And then we almost have to give enough evidence that I'm very worried and hence I need to do a colonoscopy. Even though you might not be worried, you know, overly worried because your symptoms are not, I'm still worried and I will always be worried. So what I know, what things I can do? You know, I particularly believe that doing a rigid sigmoidoscopy in the rooms is possible. You know, it's not done during sedation. I'm able to see the, the last 30 centimeters of the, of, of the colon, which is where almost 90% of cancers during pregnancy occur. Right. Okay. So at least that, if you don't want to do any of the rooms because you need a fleet enema, you need preparation, all that stuff, then you could do a flexible sigmoidoscopy. Again, we know sedation, okay? Because at least we could do that and we can get rid of the possibility of about 85% of people getting a cancer when you're pregnant. They're going to be within that last 50 centimeters of your colon. You know, it doesn't give you 100%. But it's better than the alternative. Better than nothing. That's right. So, you know, as a general rule, really, anybody with an iron deficiency should get that a gastroscopy and a colonoscopy, in particular postmenopausal women, men that, you know, have no uterus, of course, um, and there is no significant GI blood loss. But during pregnancy, is it we have to almost fight the preconceptions and the fear more than the actual indication. We know that needs it, but we have to give an extra reason for it. So... I'm very evidence-based and I, I, I've been trying to searching high and low of a way of objectively approach this with my patients. So I tend to say to them, look, you have iron deficiency and you either have some minor bleeding or not. They might not have any bleeding uh, directly. But on the blood test, at about three or four weeks after they start the iron supplementation according to the guidelines in the UK that were published in BMJ in the early 20s, your hemoglobin should raise at least two grams after starting within three to four weeks. You know, three to four weeks, there is a delay already there, but it's better than waiting six months or seven months or eight months until your pregnancy finishes. Mm. You know, if that blood test does not show the raise and you know that the patient has given it the 100% compliance, they're taking the tablets, they're not vomiting, you know, there's no other losses. 
then that's it, evidence enough for me to say you need a colonoscopy. And then we talk about, of course, you know, the risks against the benefits of having sedation, you know, which trimester, again, is, a, is, is, is the patient in, you know, which one is, is safer than others. I get them to speak to the anesthetist directly, you know, and, and to weigh things out. And at the end of the day, you know, I have to respect patient wishes and I just need to give them the information basically about it. It's about receiving, isn't it? That exactly. all the information so they can then make an informed decision, not a judgment on assumed knowledge. Yeah, and assume and the likelihood of me having it because I'm young and you know, whatever not. No, I don't I don't reassure. And everybody sort of wants me to say, Oh, can you tell me that I don't have a cancer? Well, I can't. No. Not unless I do a colonoscopy. Unfortunately, we don't, you know, doing an MRI. It's not first, it's not going to happen. Second, it's very expensive. Third, you know, you can have a small cancer that the MRI won't show. You know, there is no, at the moment, there is no real test that we can just do that will confirm that you don't have a cancer unless you have a colonoscopy. So, yeah, so I think, I, I think is, what is important is education, awareness, when something is happening and you treat it and it didn't go the way that it should be, refer and then have a colonoscopy. So if a patient who is pregnant has been diagnosed with bowel cancer, what sort of treatment options are available? Is that something you can discuss or is that more an oncologist question, Penelope? So it's very, so it's very tricky situation. You know, of course, if, if pregnancy is continued in the presence of bowel cancer, then the cancer will continue to grow, okay? And the symptoms may beca- will become worse. So it really depends the what we can do with bowel cancer in the presence of pregnancy. It really depends on the trimester that the patient is, what stage is the cancer at, and how much time we have before and after, you know, this is happening. Thankfully, it is not common, but sometimes if things are very, you know, if the stage is a later stage and there is complications like uh, obstruction or perforation, then of course you need to have surgery even in the presence of a baby. Um, you know, if the patient, if the baby is in the third trimester, maybe sometimes we can deliver the baby first and then we can treat the cancer. But if this unfortunately happens in the first trimester, then there is a conversation of, do you want to continue with this pregnancy? Or, you know, should we talk about the fact that if you continue, there's going to be all these other complications and all, all the challenges and issues. And also the talk about survival. Yes. And, and, and how this will be impacted. So it's, it's all very, very, very tough discussions. And I have to say that it's hard enough to be an obstetrician, which is one of the reasons why I never became one. <laughs> so to, to also have to talk about I'm pregnant and I have to deal with cancer. Yes, that was my next question about fertility preservation. Because if you're younger and you want to have a child. That's right. So, you know, we have all the challenges uh, to do surgeons to treat patients on during childbearing years. Because, you know, it's, it's not only the fact that you are active and you, know, you do sports and you have a social life as well. Not, not that older people don't have it, but you also are probably at the midst of working or starting new jobs or just starting a career or a business. So so all of those are challenges. But then the fertility point of view is also a problem. So and then again, this also depends on the stage of the cancer, you know, where is the patient wishes are with regards of having babies or not? Do they have a partner or not? Do they need a donor if they want to have embryos frozen? So, you know, I refer 
to my very kind and gentle fertility specialists for these conversations. It's important to have it done within a very short amount of time because really, you know, the treatment or what we need to do, we want to do it earlier rather than later when it comes to colorectal cancer. But there are things like embryon preserving. So if you have a partner or a donor, you can actually freeze your embryos. If you don't have any of the above, then you can freeze your eggs, although it doesn't work as well as freezing the embryos when it comes to getting pregnant later. There is also the issues of, you know, do you need radiation or not? And if you do need radiation because you've got a low rectal tumor, then there is a procedure that the gynecologist can do, which is um, called ovarian transposition, which is just basically bringing the ovaries out of the pelvis or out of the area of where the radiation goes. Oh, wow. There can still be a possibility that you can get radiated, but it's less if it is outside of the pelvis. Do you need chemotherapy? Now, a majority of women that are patients that have you know chemotherapy even if men they can actually fall pregnant after it but some may not and there's no way of predicting it so doing anything to preserve your fertility if that's important for you needs to be addressed and you certainly need a practitioner or a surgeon that will make it an important subject about it you know not everybody has the knowledge but you know at least they need to be aware that we need to do this or at least be discussed Yes, and it's something that when you've been presented with a bowel cancer diagnosis, it may be the last thing on your mind because you often aren't thinking completely straight. Mm. Um, you've got a lot to process. So it's um, it's good to have a, a specialist that actually will help you navigate that as well. Yeah, and sometimes I actually have brought it up and say, oh, I haven't even thought about that. Thank you for actually telling me. And then there is the highs and the guilt of why did I leave it? for so long and you know I should have got pregnant a few years ago so you know there's no right or wrong and you know health challenges happen in an unpredictable way as you know so you need to also be able to discuss these things you know sometimes it's important to see a psychologist and a counselor you know to adapt to a diagnosis is difficult enough to adapt a diagnosis once you're pregnant and making decisions around it is even harder to adapt to the diagnosis and not be pregnant, but thinking of, oh, do I want to be pregnant? Well, I'm 25. What would I think about this? So, you know, it's it's exhausting. It's a minefield, isn't it? Yeah. Which is actually quite a nice segue for me because we are at Bowel Cancer Australia launching a new pregnancy and fertility resource soon. Excellent. Which can be found on our website, bowelcanceraustralia.org. So anyone who's listening and wants a little bit more in-depth information, um, I would suggest go to that. Finally, Penelope, I like to ask the people that I interview to give me three key points that they'd like listeners to take away from today's discussion, and it's been really wonderful to hear from you. What would your three be? I think the top and most important is listen to your body. If there is something that has changed and it has not been temporary, and it has stick and stocked, like I like I call it, it stocks for a few weeks, for a few days, it's just not you, then it gets me into the second point, you ask for help. You advocate for yourself. You request an assessment by your GP specialist and mention that you would like to be further investigated with a colonoscopy, okay? Um, this includes people with, symptoms like you know bleeding because no blood in the stool is normal or with iron deficiency anemia that has been treated but still not got better despite being treated appropriately 
And the last one is, please, and I say this, please again, I beg you, do not disregard any blood on the stools because never normal. If it is on the wiping, if it's on mix on the stool, if it's, you know, black red or maroon or bright red or the amount is one teaspoon or a cup full, I do not care. It's not normal. Okay. It needs to be investigated. I do care because I want to know about it. But it, it never, 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 ever assume that it's because you had hemorrhoids forever. Okay. Please get it investigated. Such powerful words and coming from a colorectal surgeon, we're very appreciative. Penelope, thank you so much for joining us today on the Bottom Line podcast. And we've got so much more. We've only just unpacked the very tip of the iceberg and I know we'll be chatting to you again. There was nothing to be nervous about. You're an absolute pro. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the Bottom Line podcast. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and it's always a better pleasure to give me a way of of speaking since I like chit-chatting so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Penelope. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.